eight years ago, I think, on a Sunday night at the church I was working with, uh, there, there was a guest preacher who came in named David Young. David is a yeah. minister at the North Boulevard Church Christ in Murfreesboro. Murfreesboro, and, just just outside of Nashville, for those who are not familiar. Yeah. yeah. And about eight years ago, David, maybe eight or 10 years ago, David was launching a new vision for their church that involved planting 60,000 churches in the next mm-hmm. 50 years. And I was just really captivated. All right, first, church planting? Don't we have enough? And then 60,000, just the scale of it was so big. That's a that staggering I number. Really comprehend it. Yeah. yeah. And what they're doing, they're trying to partner in with some disciple-making movements around the globe. But that planted a seed. And I mean, seriously, on a Sunday night eight years ago, I can't tell you what most people talked about on a Sunday night service <laughs> years ago. But that night, it's it was like a seed that that the Lord began cultivating in my heart and my mind. And it was just a little side passion project. And so then I would read and I would, I started going to some conferences and then I really developed a burden that our movement needs to be planting churches and making disciples in ways that actually resemble our earlier years, but that have trailed off in Mm -hmm. the last 50, 60 years. Faith in the Folds, a podcast for ministry, biblical studies, and Christian living. I'm your host, Kevin Burr. Today I sat down with Smith Hopkins. Smith and I first met in 2010 at Harding School of Theology in Memphis. He was and is a serious Bible student, and I have always appreciated how he presents his ideas and handles himself even when faced with disagreement. Earlier in 2021, Smith stepped away from his preaching position at a suburban church in Memphis in order to begin the challenging but necessary work of planning a church. I caught up with Smith to ask him about his upcoming church plant near the University of Memphis, and Smith's excitement and passion for planting healthy churches was infectious. I hope you enjoy the conversation and maybe find yourself inspired to step out in faith where you may see God calling you as well. If you enjoy the kinds of conversations we're having here on the podcast, would you be willing to like and subscribe to us and maybe share us with someone who you think might benefit from this? And as always, thank you so much for tuning in today. Well, Smith, man, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I am glad that you were able to take some time out of your busy schedule to uh, sit down with us and talk to us a little bit about what uh, what you're going to be doing in the Memphis area. Um, We have uh, we've known each other for about about 10 or 11 years or so. Is that right? First met when I started the Harding School of Theology in Memphis. Um, is that right? Yeah, that's right. When did you start? 2010. Yeah, 2010. Yeah. Um, it's an honor to be on here and to uh, be on your platform. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. I am. Uh, I'm happy to have you. Uh, have you on here. Did you start in 2010 also? I started at the beginning of 2009. Okay, but I was on okay. the slow track, so yeah. it took me a little longer. I was working full time, doing some other things, also. Yeah, yeah. I, for some reason, I remember thinking that you had been there forever, and it was like I guess it was how you like when I first started. I was like, man, this guy Smith and and James and some of these other guys they they're just naming all these all these New Testament scholars that I don't know about. <laughs> it's like these guys have been here forever. They know what they're doing. Little That's did true. I know that uh i would catch up 
Yeah, uh, Dr. Dr. Kevin now. Now I'm the one playing catch up. No. <laughs> no. But um, Smith, help us uh, help us get to know you a little bit before we jump into our uh, topic about uh, church planning. We'll get to that in just a second, but help us get to know you a little bit. Uh, where, where are you from? Where all did you go to school? Tell us about your uh, ministry experience. Uh, help us get to know Smith Hopkins. Sure. Uh, happy to. I grew up in uh, a small town in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, really in between Fort Worth and Waco, which is, if you've ever been to Magnolia and Waco, you know there's not a lot in between <laughs> Fort Worth and Waco. So I grew up in a town of 500 people in a, just a really small community, oh, and wow. a conservative Church of Christ. And yeah. Uh, yeah. my family is just really embedded in the life of our church. Um, uh, the Bible, worship, church was just such a central part of my life. Um, around my senior year of high school, I, I now would have the vocabulary of saying I was called into ministry. Mm. And I, I kind of shifted my focus from basketball and coaching into preaching and ministry. And I chose to go to Freed Hardeman in Henderson, Tennessee, which is a long way away from small town, Texas. I've, I've heard of Freed Hardeman. Okay. Yeah, but okay. I had some I had some family who had gone there. My brothers had been there. I had some Ooh. preachers who were influential and they had gone there. Mm-hmm. And then from from Freed, I went to Harding School of Theology in Memphis. Mm-hmm. And really, I've been here ever since. My wife and I married. At the end of 2008, she's from Memphis. We mm-hmm. moved to her hometown, and we just never left. We've kind of circled around the city. Uh-huh. So I've worked in in just so many different parts of town at different churches at yeah. various stages. Uh, done a little bit of everything. Actually, my first preaching job was back in Henderson. There's a tiny church. I showed up. The, I was 18 years old. I was a freshman at yeah. Freed. I showed up uh, at the request of a friend to preach, and there were six people in the room. Wow. Plus me. So, wow. um, uh, yeah, we, Man. we were, it was a, a just, just a different kind of thing, but an amazing group of people It was mm-hmm. a little church called Lou Ray. And, um, I've been blessed by the church, by what God is doing in his people. And especially in West Tennessee, since, I mean, I guess that was over, over 15 years ago that I yeah. started that, um, done a lot of things since then. I am married. My wife, Kelsey, and I live in Memphis. We have three little kids. And uh, we're, uh, I think, as you alluded to, we're now in a new phase where we're mm-hmm. uh, pursuing church planting in the Memphis area. Yeah. Uh, let's let's pause that conversation just uh, just for a second, because there's another I just thought of this. So if you're not prepared, I'm, I'm sorry, this is on you. You've lived in you've lived in the Memphis area for about 15 years now. So you should know an answer to this. Um, what's your favorite barbecue joint? My in favorite. It's still Germantown Commissary. Really? Okay. Yeah. That's see that that's actually fair though, because Germantown Commissary is pretty good. Yeah. It's some. It's amazing. Uh, there's some good brisket joints popping up now, and as a Texan at heart, I still <laughs> I still prefer the beef brisket. So yeah. Um, there's yeah. there's a lot of good barbecue. Yeah. 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 It's uh, it's funny. It, it my first time my first time teaching a smaller class down here. I. First class I taught down here uh, at, at our church uh, was the auditorium class. And so it's largely lecture-based, not a lot of discussion. The next class I taught, um, which I'm still currently teaching this quarter, is based on some stuff from the five love languages and then another book uh, that Gary Chapman co-authored with another person 
uh, called The Five Languages of Apology. And I, I borrowed a thing from Bob Turner, where every time Bob teaches a small class, uh, like he would do at White Station when he was just a Bible class teacher there, he'd have everybody go around the room, say their name, and then they'd answer like some silly question. Um, it's just kind of an icebreaker thing. And the first question I asked was, when you hear the word barbecue, what do you think of pork or beef? And it was surprisingly split down here in in Corpus Christi, maybe because uh, Corpus Christi is not exactly like, uh, you know, the Dallas Fort Worth area. I don't know. It's um, a different breed uh, down in South Texas where you're at for sure. Yeah. It, it has more of an international feel and the, um, you know, the, the refineries uh, bring, you bring folks from all over and the, uh, uh, the Naval Air Station and the uh, Army Depot, the bases down here bring yeah. folks in from all over. So yeah. I guess that's yeah. fair. Yeah, sure. So yeah. I- I'm always happy to talk barbecue uh, with folks, but this isn't a barbecue podcast. This is uh, as much fun as that would be. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, I had mentioned uh, earlier that uh, that you are in a new phase. Um, yeah. you, you just recently... Uh, stepped down from a position at uh, at, at a church there in the, in the uh, greater Memphis area and are now expecting to do some church planting. Uh, let me ask, what is it about church planting? Why mm-hmm. why has that been on your heart? What uh, what led you to uh, to really dig into this notion of uh, of church planting? Yeah, I. That's a really good question. I grew up not having a category really for church planting. Um, now church splits were a common theme, especially in small towns in Texas. You know, there's there may be a white church or maybe a black church, and then there may be a non-institutional church. And then sometimes there would be another church split that would happen. And so there would be more than one in the community. That was really my only category. But about mm-hmm. eight years ago, I think, on a Sunday night at at the church I was working with, uh, there, there was a guest preacher who came in named David Young. David is a yeah. minister at the North Boulevard Church Christ in Murfreesboro. Murfreesboro, and, just just outside of Nashville, for those who are not familiar. Yeah. yeah. And about eight years ago, David, maybe eight or ten years ago, David was launching a new vision for their church that involved planting 60,000 churches in the next mm-hmm. 50 years. And I was just really captivated. Like, oh, all right, first, church planting? Don't we have enough? And then 60,000, just the scale of it was so big. That's a that staggering I really number. Comprehend it. Yeah. yeah. And what they're doing, they're trying to partner in with some disciple making movements around the globe, not just here in the United States, mm-hmm. um, where church planting is much more expensive, much slower, and more difficult than it is in some of the other parts. But that planted a seed. And I mean, seriously, on a Sunday night eight years ago, I can't tell you what most people talked about on a Sunday night service <laughs> years ago. But that night, it's, it was like a seed that, that the Lord began cultivating in my heart and my mind. And it was just a little side passion project. And so then I would read and I would, I started going to some conferences and then I really developed a burden that our movement mm-hmm. needs to be planting churches and making disciples in ways that actually resemble our earlier years, yeah. but that have trailed off in mm-hmm. the last 50, 60 years. And so I, I began encouraging church leaders that I knew we need to be planting churches. We need to be planting churches. And then it just became more and more personal. Um, I, I was asking my elders and other elders in this area, if not us, then who, if not us, then who, sure. 
Uh, but in the last year, I started asking my wife that question, which is in a more personal way, if not us, <laughs> then who? It's one thing to say, we need to be planning churches. Another thing to say, here I am, send me. Right. And so we, we stepped away from uh, the congregation I was ministering at Oliver Creek Church Christ in January. Mm-hmm. And we hope to launch next January, but there's kind of the season now. Um, a lot of people who've been through church planting, they describe it almost like a pregnancy. It takes mm-hmm. about nine months to incubate the baby before you actually give birth and and go through the launch. So we're kind of right in the middle of that right now, just at the early stages. Yeah. You know, if, if you're looking at the sonogram, you can at least see that there's something there, but it's not it's, viable just yet. It's a so, lima bean. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's right. There yeah. is a heartbeat. There is a heartbeat, but Amen. Yeah. Uh, it's not it's not uh, viable or sustainable just yet. We mm-hmm. have a lot of work to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's... um. <clears throat> So some of the research that you've done that I think I think you I want to say you were the first person to put some of this research on my radar. Um, there's some recent statistics on church growth and decline, right? Mm-hmm. That that kind of bring up church planting. Yeah, they kind of give us a context for another yeah. reason why church planting might be yeah. useful. Can you share some of these recent statistics on church growth and decline and and maybe why church planting is uh, is connected yeah. with that. Yeah, sure. Um, and I got to say, I'm I'm not the scholar who's doing the research. I'm just relaying it to yeah. my friends and church leaders. Yeah. Um, there are, if you want to find out like more in detail, Stan Granberg has some resources available online. There's some other groups that are publishing about the decline, especially in churches of Christ. Mm-hmm. That's that's my network. That's my family. That's my where my heart is and the numbers are just really staggering what's happened in the last, especially the last 30 years, mm-hmm. in the last 30 years, we've lost about 250,000 members in adherence of churches of Christ in the United States. Is that a net loss? Yeah, that's right. But meanwhile, the population has gone up. I mean, yeah. in Corpus Christi, you can kind of see it. Some of it is that, it's immigration, but it's also just childbirth. And so yeah. the number of Americans has increased by over 30 million, but the number of church Christ people has actually declined. So we're, we're just not keeping pace. Yeah. Uh, so the, the number of people that are connect, the percentage of people that are connected with our movement has dropped by about 35% mm-hmm. in 30 years, which is, it's almost like the floor is falling out. But, but what Granberg and other researchers are showing is that that's actually about to get a lot worse because, because of the age of our churches, because of the age of the members of our churches. Yeah. Um, those numbers are probably, if the forecasts stay the same without a major influx of disciple making and church planning, it's, it's going to be devastating in the next 30 years. So you, so you couple, uh, well, you, Basically, there are a couple of factors here. Um, you have people just leaving, leaving our fellowship. Yeah. And you also have to deal with the fact that it is a graying fellowship. Yes. Um, it's yeah. A, it's an aging fellowship. Yeah. And actually, I think graying is a good word. I think that's a word that um, Bobby Ross is using over at Christian Chronicle. Mm-hmm. And the Christian Chronicle has been chronicling the decline of Church of Christ at least in the last decade, if you just Google, you can find Christian Chronicles kind of reporting every time we have new numbers that come out. Yeah. They're sounding the alarm. Um, so yeah, you, you call it the grain or the aging. 
it, everybody generally knows this reality except like Abraham and Sarah. I'm not saying that it can't happen, but generally speaking, older people have fewer kids and the number of kids in our movement is just going down. Mm-hmm. Kevin, when did you go to undergrad? What year? Uh, 2004 to 2008. Okay. So I'm, I'm right there with you. Same yeah. kind of age group. Um, I started in 05. The number of college students from Churches of Christ just across the country, the number of college students since you and I went to college has dropped by more than half. Wow. wow. And that's, that's pretty fast. I mean, we're not, we're not old men. I have some gray in my beard, but it's not much. And so what, what that means is there, there are fewer people having children. And then as they grow, there's even fewer. But it's not just our members are older. Our churches are older, too. And you've probably seen some of the, the graphs on the church life cycle. Churches are like people. Um, younger people have more fertility than older people. Sure. Same yeah. thing with churches. Yeah. Uh, most churches, if they're not reproducing in their first 15 years, they just won't ever reproduce. Now, and, how do you mean reproduce? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Um, We're still going with this baby metaphor. <laughs> yeah. Multiply, reproduce. Yeah. Yeah. So what I mean is they, they help start new churches or new works. Okay. And yeah. that's just not happening. Most of our churches, I, I heard a number this week that 85% of our churches are in the decline phase of life, which means that they're, they're losing um, numbers and in many cases, energy. Um, healthy movements, they, they can kind of track healthy movements and we're just nowhere close right now. Yeah. Um, Do you know what some of those, uh, uh, sorry, I, I didn't expect to get to, to be asking you these technical questions, but do you know what some of the factors are that, uh, that indicate a church is in decline phase? Hmm. Um, I know you said you heard that. And so it, it could have been yeah. Yes, you might not have like seen hard research or data. I, I have. Um, I'm trying to remember where it was specifically. I am um, also going to direct folks to uh, to some of the research that you've mentioned from Stan Granberg. I've yeah. got a I've got an He's article. Have all of this. Yeah. Uh, he he had a big article uh, in some. Oh man, what was the name of that? Uh, was it in the, the Great Commission Journal? Great Commission Journal. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is an academic journal. Um, yeah, I'll. I'll I'll have uh, I'll have a description or a link or I'll I'll send folks to some of his stuff so they can try to find yeah. some some version of that. Yeah. Well, what they show is that in general churches survive about as long as people. So let's say eighty years. Mm-hmm. And so if you're over forty years old, just from an age perspective, most churches over forty are in the decline. Wow. Um, not all of them. Some of them can reinvent themselves and sure, they yeah. have a new leader come in and they're able to cast a new vision for the future. And instead of going into decline, they can uh, they can change the trajectory of their community and their church. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have so few new churches being planted that most of our churches, most of our churches are over over 40. Yeah. And if you think about it, that makes sense. If you just go to a church in most towns, it was probably planted in either the 50s or the 60s. And that that's great. And during yeah. the 50s or 60s, we had this heyday. But then normally what you can tell is that uh, I was just talking about um, childbirth as a factor. Yeah. Childbirth is it's a leading indicator. It tells you in the future what's about to happen when those kids grow up. Mm-hmm. Church planting is the same way. So 
the number of church plants tells you 25 years into the future what your growth pattern is going to look like. Mm, okay. And so in the 60s, we peaked in church planting, which meant 25, 30 years later, we peaked in attendance. So what's happened since then with church planting? Well, it's, it's almost disappeared. Um, on, on record, the number of churches of Christ that have been planted in the last couple of years puts our planting rate about zero, like, like literally zero. So we have more churches by far closing than starting. Um, and it's just not any, sustainable. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Do you have any, like, are there any indications about why that's the case? I mean, I, I know it was bad, right? But I didn't, I didn't know zero percent sure. was kind of kind of our average. Yeah. Well, what happened? What do you think? Uh, and if, if you don't have an answer, that's fine. It's just that that's a that's a disturbing figure. Yeah, sure. Um, most people, when they look around at churches, they think in terms of almost like spatially or geographically. Mm-hmm. That town has a church. We don't need another one. That's mm-hmm. just going to cause division. It's it's almost exactly what I thought the first time I heard David Young speaking that night. At, at Germantown eight years ago, where I thought we don't need more churches. What we need are healthier churches. But th- that's a, a pretty strange perspective from if you think of it like a family. For a family to grow, they need kids who have grandkids. <laughs> they don't just need to get healthier because at some point, even healthy people will get old and die. Right. And yeah. it's the same thing with churches and at least most churches and life cycles. Even the churches that the Apostle Paul planted are not existing today. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the best church planter does not plant an eternal congregation, even though we're a part of an eternal church. Yeah. So there's just, there's just the realities of that. And so what we see is that some churches that have a few churches in town are reluctant to plant because they're territorial. They don't want to cause division. And some of those things, our, our fear is trumping our mission and the call to make disciples. Um, I think that's part of it. There's... I'm sure there's some other factors as well, including just some migration patterns that are happening. And I can mostly speak locally about patterns that I see here. So Memphis, where, where I'm at, and I've been for the last 15 years or so yeah. um, in, over here in West Tennessee, um, Memphis has this really high rate of people who live in the city and migrate out. Um, we actually have the sixth highest migration out of the city in all the country. Wow. Um, you, you probably have noticed something like that. People who live in Memphis don't always love the city and they, they can't wait to get to the suburbs because they have better schools or they, they feel like they're more family friendly neighborhoods and environments. That that is definitely that is definitely true. That is the perception of. Yes. Uh, and I, I only lived I only lived in East Memphis on campus for four years and on campus. Uh, right there, uh, Cherry Road, Park Avenue, that area. That's a that's a fairly nice part of town, yeah. and uh, it was very clear that that was the perspective of a lot of folks. You don't yeah. love you don't love the city. Uh, the rest of Shelby County is uh, pretty neat, like you said, family friendly. Uh, that's a that's a charitable way of how of describing how a lot of people feel about uh, about Memphis proper versus uh, versus the rest of the county. Yeah. Yeah. And so some of that's connected to people's view of poverty and some of it's connected to people's view of race. And so if you look historically, a a lot of cities, not just Memphis, but a lot of cities have these white flight patterns Mm -hmm. uh, that were happening. And so there's actually a lot of migration, not just to Christians, 
but also of churches, including here. So there are churches that were once in the city that now relocated to larger properties and maybe understandably so, you know, if you can find cheaper property and more of it for more people where right. your members are moving to some extent, it makes sense, but it leaves behind these pockets that need revitalization and they need gospel presence in missional churches. And so moving is fine, but we also need uh, planting and multiplication. We, uh, I can keep using <laughs> childbirth <laughs> metaphors. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. I'll, so, I'll, I'll, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to put a kind of put a pin on that migration point. So each city needs new churches to reach the new people in the city because new churches, I mean, this is research-based new churches reach new people better than old churches. And if you just think about it, it makes sense. Um, Older churches, they, they basically have their volunteer core and they have the people it takes uh, to get up and running, but a new church by necessity needs new people. And when new people move to town, they want to be a part of a church that needs them, not just a part of a church where they can show up. Right. Yeah. Um, there, there's some, I, I mentioned some racial factors too. Um, some it's, of that, it's not a secret, right? That there's, that there's a history of, uh, of issues with race in Memphis. Yeah. That's, yeah. it's not a secret. Yeah. But it, in beyond Memphis, I know not everyone listening is in my context, but you can see the number of Latino immigrants over the last 30 years in our country has just gone up and up and up. Mm-hmm. But we, we aren't planning as many Latino-based churches of Christ in order to minister to those people or to disciple those people. So, I can think of one. I can think of one uh, Spanish-speaking congregation uh, within Churches of Christ here in Corpus Christi. And if I'm not mistaken, Corpus Christi is um, 60%... I think it's a majority uh, Hispanic uh, in terms of demographics. And I mean, in, in so many, especially urban centers, there's opportunities for cross-cultural ministry that we're just not stepping into. Mm-hmm. Um, we need, we need missionaries to move into American cities to plant churches, uh, to plant churches for um, Spanish speaking context, but as well as English speaking context, because just the, the cultures are changing dramatically and quickly in our cities. Well, take a, take a city like Houston, for example. Um, when you think of largest cities in the U.S., you don't normally think of Houston. You think of um, like New York or L.A. Houston is one of the most international cities uh, in the country. I, I heard a statistic the other day from a guy at our church uh, I, who used to live in Houston. He said something like over 100 different languages are spoken throughout the city of Houston. Wow. And Houston's only three hours away from here. And right. so, yeah, I mean, like you've got, it, it is a good thing to be able to send missionaries overseas to go and, uh, and plant churches and, um, and, and cultivate disciples. Um, it, you could also just uh, drive a few hours uh, south of Dallas <laughs> and, you've got, and you're in a place like Houston where you can also you know, send missionaries to plant, to, plant churches in what are essentially international context. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And San Antonio is right there with you. Absolutely. Most people don't understand how many people live in San Antonio. If you look up the population of San Antonio, I think it's top 10 in the nation. Wow. Just from the, the city itself perspective. Mm-hmm. And I, I was driving through Dallas Fort Worth uh, recently and just the level of development that's happening with apartments they're building and new 
uh, subdivision neighborhoods that they're building and church planting just can't keep up in those contexts. Yeah. Um, and the churches that exist there just aren't fully motivated to go all out and embrace those new residents, especially when they come from new people groups. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand. Smith, now that you and your team have, uh, have discerned a call to plant a church, mm-hmm. What uh, what all is involved in planning a new church? Is your first step looking for a, for a shiny new building? You know, <laughs> do you get a website? What what do y'all do first? And there, are, it's hard to even say what you do first. Um, I can only speak from my perspective. It's it's a weird thing. I've done a lot of ministry, but I haven't ever done this before. Mm-hmm. So the first thing my wife and I really committed to was long seasons of prayer and seeking uh, the Lord's face. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and, and seriously for us, it's, it's been seeking the Lord in prayer in more depth and more time than we have ever made time for. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's probably where it begins. Even the call itself is discerned in prayer. And then the team that you refer to, that's all discerned in prayer, not mm-hmm. just like quit. When you think of when Jesus called his team, it was the day after he spent the night in prayer. So if, if Jesus yeah. is having to give it to prayer before he starts a new work with a team of people, maybe we should too. But man, but then it's all of these things that I actually haven't been trained for that we step into immediately. You know, I, I went to seminary. Yeah. I have an MDiv. Mm-hmm. I have a Bible degree and a philosophy degree, but they're not teaching you how to file incorporation documents or set up bylaws and set up policies. Yeah. And which, I mean, that's what I did today. We, we had our governance team meeting and we were getting some of this documentation approved for the state, various things, um, making decisions about church management, software, banking. Um, there's all these real technical things that thankfully there are resources available who are kind of guiding us. Yeah. But from a, from like the, the ministry, kind of why you go into it itself. Um, you know, it starts with discipleship. If you want to be a disciple making church, you have to start making disciples early. And so we called people into our lives, into our home, and asked them to kind of walk with us in a discipling relationship. And for the next six months or so, we mostly want to walk with them, not in an open advertising, come here, um, but it, really in the sense that we want to grow something, a culture first, that then we can invite people into. Yeah. Um, but, were these folks uh, that you that you invited in with you? Uh, were they were they previously unchurched? Were they folks that you already knew? How did you go about discerning you know whom to whom to invite into this uh, partnership with you? Yeah, we had some criteria that we were looking at um, for for this team that we're describing. We're going to rely on this team to be our our future leaders. Mm-hmm. And when I say future, I mean in the very near future. They're like going to be the ones next leading January, ministries, right. leading groups, right? Yeah. And so we needed not just in, we didn't need unbelievers in those roles. Makes um, sense. Whenever Paul writes to, to Timothy and Titus, he's, he's telling them, don't pick a novice. Don't be quick to lay hands on somebody. Instead, choose somebody who's already shown themselves um, and they've got a reputation. So we were looking for people who are high caliber people. Mm-hmm. Um, things like their character, their capacity, their competency, um, were they called to us? And then we were looking at our chemistry. How are we going to fit together? Those, yeah. those five C's were really important to us. Um, I should say, say those five C's again. Uh, Cause I, I yeah. The, a character. Okay. Yeah. Capacity. Okay. Calling and really, and were they called to us into our vision for what we were hoping to see happen? 
mm-hmm. uh, competency. What what gifts are they bringing? Uh, how how do they complement this diverse body? Um, we don't need just my gifts over and over again. Right. Uh, we need a, the full diversity of of what the spirit is doing in in the body. Mm-hmm. And the last one's chemistry. Yeah. So if somebody annoys you a lot, you probably don't want them to. And <laughs> I mean, especially at that level, at some point, you know, you can't choose your family, but if you're, right. if you're playing in a church, you, you can, um, there's this unique burden that comes with that freedom. Um, a lot of, a lot of our track though has already been mapped out. This is a, a great thing. If there's any prospective church planters listening today, you, you don't have to feel like Lewis and Clark without a guide that there mm-hmm. are people who have walked hundreds of times with other church planters through this process. And they've trained leaders on how to navigate what you're walking through. And so we chose, part of what we did first was we chose a training program and we took about a year and we went through that program together to really to experience discipleship. I don't know about you, Kevin, but I started preaching at 18 and, you know, I, I just haven't been discipled by many church leaders, by people who I thought were further along the road than I was. Now, sometimes you can find somebody who will invest in you, but someone who can say, come alongside, let me teach you, let me show you, let me empower you. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's been a huge gift. Um, We, I can, I can plug them. We used a group called Onward Church Planting. They're they're based in Nashville and they were just fantastic. Just uh, men of God who, really poured into us as uh, in a discipling relationship. We're so thankful for uh, Dave and Aaron at, at Onward. You know, you, you had me at Nashville, right? Yeah. There's a lot of good folks uh, from Nashville. <laughs> I like this list of five C's that uh, to add another C here, it's a very concrete uh, list of things that, uh, that are absolutely useful, uh, absolutely valuable for for being aware of you man you would hate for you'd hate to go through all this work even doing the logistics uh like the technical logistics of filing you know to get you know proper licensing with the state to be a business and you know all that stuff um you'd hate to go through all that process only to find out yikes this team that i've pledged to work with I actually can't stand these guys or they can't stand me. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I imagine that's a fairly well. humbling experience too, to, no to go through all that. No, but uh, it's also a biblical one. Like when you read through the book of Acts, there, there are diverse teams that are called together mm-hmm. that sometimes struggle with things like chemistry. Uh, I was thinking of um, Saul or Paul and John Mark and Barnabas yeah. and that little triad, uh, how many struggles they had. Um, but there was no doubt about some of those other, maybe even more important characteristics. Like they, they were still men of character. Mm-hmm. They were still people who had gifts and competencies. Um, so struggling through those things is so normal and it's so biblical um, that it normalizes some of those challenges that we're, we're trying to walk through. Yeah. Yet we just kept coming back over and over to that list of five mm-hmm. as we were praying and we, we would just seek seek the Lord and we would just talk and we would actually try to put people that we were thinking about calling into scenarios where we could test them on those things, where we could almost test their, their competencies. 
we, we think we see this gift. Let's see if they can help others walk through it. Let's see how they fit together with these other people in terms of chemistry. And so we, we really took some of Paul's words to heart whenever he says, don't be quick to lay hands on people, you know, give them a season of just so you can see a season of discernment. Yeah. That's a big part of it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it makes a lot of sense that this entire process that you've been describing, you know, it, the very first thing you said would, you know, like when I asked what I was involved in planning a new church, the first thing you said was prayer and lots of discernment. Mm-hmm. And I, because I know you, I know that that's genuine. I also know how that can sound to some folks is like, oh, well, that's the good church answer. It seems like, though, that you've really taken that to heart that y- y'all are unwilling to make a big move without without bathing the whole process in prayer, without seeking to to, to be in God's presence about that. Yeah. Uh, it, I, I would think that planting a church and the difficulties of all the logistical difficulties would be spiritually exhausting. You seem like you might be more spiritually refreshed through Mm. this process. Is that fair? It is today. It was not in January. You know, it's Mm. hard to step away from a church and a church family. Yeah. And for us, we had just years and years, and I didn't fully appreciate this until you step out. We had years of people expecting us to be there on Sunday. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know the last time I visited a church before that. I, I was always expected if I visited a church, it's because they were paying me to be a guest speaker. <laughs> so it's like, this isn't exactly a vacation. I'm not choosing this. It's, it was just a normal part of my life. I was yeah. expected to be there. I was showing up and I was going to give everything I had to the Lord and to his people. But then it, it goes from that into the season of a lot more isolation. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's also the story of church planting. Um, I've had this, this sense, though, that even in that sense of isolation, that it was almost like that's when the good shepherd, in a, it, seriously, in a way more than he ever did before, that I felt him personally caring for me as his sheep. Yeah. Um, he was in, in that valley. I am with you. Mm-hmm. You're, you're rod and your staff. You, they comfort me. So there, there was this personal seeking, um, seeking him. And he showed up in amazing ways. Um, there are hard things about church planting. There's criticism that come with church planting. Um, there's risk and financial insecurity that come, come with that step. Um, but when we have sought him in prayer, he has shown up to give peace, to grow faith in, in ways that all we can do is it's praise God and, and thank him for it because um, we were, we took a step in, in trust that he would, and he has every, every time. And it's not just true for me. My wife has had her own um, journey over the last, especially six months. And the Lord has given peace and um, wisdom. He's given us discernment. He's opened doors at just the right moment, just repeatedly over and over again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that if you hang out with church planners, that's, a, that's not unusual um, that the Lord comes through sometimes later than you want him to. <laughs> and uh, I, I was actually, I was talking. He's to never late. He arrives precisely <laughs> when he argue. means to. <laughs> uh, well done. Thank you for that. Uh, I was talking with a friend recently and 
he was saying, you know, I, I would love to plant a church. I'm worried about the financial insecurity of stepping away. Mm. If the Lord could just show me where that's going to come from, then it would be so much easier to step away. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I get that's that. That's honest, man. That's I, honest. I get that. Um, unfortunately, that is not how the Lord operates. I mean, if you just look, just l- read again Genesis 12. Yeah. Oh, and, okay. and go look at the call of Abraham. Yeah. It's like, come or look at the call of Jesus. Come follow me. Let the dead bury their own dead. Foxes have over and over people are called to step away without actually seeing where they're going. They're just, they're called to see the person who's next to them. And that's why it has to be in prayer because in prayer, he can just say, come with me rather than I, I I'll show you the way I, I have all the roadmap planned out. Uh, and you're right. I, I get how churchy of an answer. All of that sounds. <laughs> uh, and I, I wish I had the vocabulary or that people were had the proximity to be able to see that that's actually a reality. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not, it's not like that my wife and I are so special. It's just almost by necessity, you're thrust into yeah. a sense of desperation that, that isn't matched when you just, it's all taken care of. Yeah. Now I'm going to draw an analogy with a galaxy far, far away because uh, at the time of recording last night, I was working on a different podcast that uh, I do with a couple of, couple of guys from uh, from Massachusetts. It's a it's a Star Wars and theology based podcast. Uh, check us out. Hyperspace <laughs> theology. It's a real I'll thing. And I love both of those things. It's uh, it, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, the main host is Jared Mays, a guy who's also an HSC alumnus. Um, he wrapped up. I th- he he started right as you were wrapping up. Um, okay. So I, I don't know that y'all would have overlapped, but. We were talking last night about, what were you going to say? I said, I'll check it out. I love both those things. I appreciate that. And for anyone kind enough to listen, uh, at at the risk of additional self-aggrandizement, I'm not the host (laughs) of that one. I'm just like a co-host. But it's a hyperspace theology. Um, But last night, we were talking about how, um, we were talking about how Luke Skywalker had basically his in, his securities pulled out from under him. The only family that he knew there on Tatooine killed. He, he gets wrapped up in this uh, thing that's a lot bigger than himself. He, he has, a, has a, a quick and strong connection to, uh, to Ben Kenobi, who uh, I, I think... It, I think helps Luke realize that there is something more and greater out there than just what he has been used to. And then by the end of the first movie, Obi-Wan Kenobi is also dead. Spoiler alert. If you (laughs) haven't watched star Wars for anybody, Um, but like the, the only family, and the only mental, real spiritual, and, and I, for those of you just listening, I put spiritual in quotes, the only spiritual mentor that Luke Skywalker knew, both of these guys are dead, and Luke is there left with the, this decision. You know, does he progress in his training or, or what? And he ultimately does. He steps out in faith, not knowing exactly what he's looking for there on Dagobah when he goes to find Yoda. His securities were pulled away. He was left to trust that he would find, um, find uh, something greater and deeper 
in the force, not too dissimilar, <laughs> maybe from what you've what you've expressed here about um, about stepping away from uh, from a from the financial security of a of a church, and um, you know planning on uh, planting a church. Is that a yeah. does that make sense? Is that a, you think that's a fair yeah. analogy? I'm trying to map it forward, and then uh, it gets really dark with what I have to do to my father. Um, <laughs> Obviously, the analogy breaks down at some point. <laughs> uh, yeah, my my sister gets in a bind at some point, also. So yeah, that's, that's going to get weird. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, um, I think that's right, and it actually, I mean, intentionally so. Right, this is the point of hyperspace theology that it, it's also mirroring the the true story of the gospel. Mm. Uh, maybe Ben Kenobi's like a John the Baptist figure. I don't know. I have to map that. But if you just look at like Philippians 2 or Philippians 3, there's somebody who steps away from status and position and they step down mm -hmm. and they walk this path of death. But on the other side of that path is elevation and glory and honor. And it, it's this trajectory that then goes up. That, that's the path of Jesus, that downward and then upward. But it's also the path of the believer in chapter 3. Mm -hmm. So he says, I will get rid of everything in order that by any means I, I can attain that resurrection from the dead. I just want to share in what he had. And there's no other way, I don't think, to follow Jesus than to step out from where you were in bold faith and step down into service. And then on the other side, on the other side, there's fruitfulness, there's gifts, there's blessings. But yeah. <laughs> they're not without pain. Um, I mean, I was mm. preaching this recently at Memphis Port Camp that we, we have this idea, I think, not we, you and I. Yeah. In kind of cultural Christianity, there's this idea that Jesus took on the cross, so I don't have to. Mm -hmm. But Jesus' call of discipleship is not, I took on the cross, so you don't have to. It's follow me and carry your cross with yeah. you. It's, it is the call. That's the call of discipleship. So there, there's no other way to do it. Uh, for, for me, that right now, it looks like church planting. But for you, it's going to look differently. But it, it's still the downward trajectory before... Uh, you get the season of community and family and productive ministry. Yeah, very much so. Why, why have y'all decided to plant a church near the University of Memphis? Yeah. Uh, well, I was talking about migration earlier, and I think that's that's deeply connected here. Also, in Memphis, there have been a few churches that have moved out into the suburbs, and mm -hmm. there's a void now, and it's a void that's actually connected to the education institutions of Memphis. Um, I mean, there's 40,000 students enrolled in the universities and grad schools around the Memphis area. Really? But there are very few churches that are actually trying to integrate with them. But we also think there's this missional opportunity that comes from being around mm -hmm. young people. Young people are much more open to discipling relationships and to being grown in new ways. But, um, I think this research is well known enough to those years between 18 and 25. So when you go to college and when you leave college, those years are so vulnerable for the faith of young people. Yeah. And so many are, are slipping away right there. And we want to step into that. Um, I think God has actually been preparing me for a long time to step into that. Some of my like earlier interest in things like apologetics and reading about cultural secularism like those, those just reading hobbies are now 
more relevant than ever for a ministry. Mm-hmm. That kind of ministry didn't resonate as well in blue collar suburbs. Sure. But yeah. when you're on a university campus, there's absolutely a need for voices who can point, point the way through the secular fog. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I, I have this, this dream of, of seeing people come to Memphis for education and then in four years sent out together for multiplication. Mm-hmm. And if, if there's a church that's trying to disciple them during those seasons, um, they're looking for something for the meaning of life. And if you can connect it to the gospel of Jesus Christ, then I just think there's so much potential there. So some of it is just about the potential. Some of it is about the need, uh, but it's also, it's also home. I mean, I, I live in that zip code now. Uh, it's, it's my community. It's my wife's hometown. This, this is where we live and work and play. So we, we just love Memphis and we want to see it thrive. And we know it can't do that without the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it seems very similar to uh, kind of the position that we find ourselves in down here with the, uh, with the different uh, military bases that are in Corpus Christi. We get a lot of folks who, who come in, we have them for a very short time. And uh, while they're here, we uh, try to bless them and equip them and serve them and be their family while we have them for their, uh, for their, uh, for as long as they're stationed here. And then they, uh, they get sent off and uh, hopefully we can e- equip them and disciple them to be a blessing and to, to bear fruit wherever they, uh, wherever they go elsewhere. Yeah. That, that reminds me of Antioch in, in the book of Acts. Oh yeah. Very much. Where so. it's, this, it's this place where people come together, but they don't last long there mm-hmm. because they're sent out. They're sent out over to Cyprus or over to Tarsus, or they're just going out into the region. They're mm-hmm. not staying put for whatever reason. Um, yeah. I imagine that's dispiriting for a local church to just have somebody they connect with, they pour into, and then they're gone. But if you can just change the perspective just a little, and instead of losing somebody, you're sending somebody, and then you can start to feel good about what you're sending them into. Yeah. Um, and you ha- you almost have to just embrace that because that's the reality of where you're doing ministry. That's that's what we expect too. Yeah. Yeah. There was a there was a time when I was very seriously considering. Uh, campus ministry and um, <clears throat> that notion i mean that's absolutely at the heart of yeah. uh, of campus ministry you've got a short time short amount of time with these folks uh, goodness <laughs> do you think jesus felt that way sometimes too it's like i've got a very short amount of time with these guys mm-hmm. i really need <laughs> we really need to get all this together before we uh, before we get you all sent out mm-hmm. here um so one of the things that uh, kind of the last thing that i wanted to ask is uh, is this how do you plan on drawing the unchurched yeah. into uh, into this new church plant? Yeah, man, this is a this is a burden for me. It's heightened by the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what's happening in Corpus, but nationally and in our area too, the number of unchurched people is just skyrocketing. Um, more than ever just aren't returning because of the disruption of having a year away from, yeah. from attending. So I think the need to reach unchurched people is, is literally maybe 20, 25% higher now than it was a year and a half ago. That's a huge increase in a short amount of time. Sure. There's a lot of unchurched people. 
And we, we want to reach on church people in a variety of ways. We actually, before we launch, we want to build a launch team that includes lots of unchurched people. It's, it sounds a little weird to invite non-Christian unchurched people to help plan a church, but it's like, why would they say yes? That, that's kind of what you're asking. And I, well, I think yeah. people will say yes for a couple of reasons. Um, if you show that you are actually in it for the good of the city and the community, and you're actually offering what scripture calls the blessing, you're, you're bringing peace. Most people want to be a part of that. And so one way we'll, we'll build it is through community service events where we're inviting non-Christians to come alongside Christians and serve together. Um, I mean, people show up all for all kinds of things, fundraisers and 5Ks. And you just mentioned that you're at Memphis Work Camp, right? That's right. They go paint yeah, houses for free, right? Teenagers. Yeah. Adults will take a, a week off of work to go paint a house for free, and then they'll love doing it. Yeah. The, because because they get to feel good about what they're doing, but also because they get to connect with other people. Those are really the two big ways that we plan to. Uh, our model, uh, our our church name is called Oikos Church. Oikos means home. It's, oh, yeah. it's a family. It's a house. It's it's a relational network. And so if if the church is, is home, if Oikos is home, then in my experience, it's maybe not in every community, but here in Memphis, there are people who will say yes to come over to my house that will say no to coming to a worship service. Mm -hmm. And so we're moving a lot of what we think of as going to church. What would it look like to be the church in your neighborhood for the Oikos not to be a church building that you go to, but to actually be your Oikos? Mm -hmm. um, so we think we can um, reach our, our neighbors and coworkers and other students that live on our dorm floor by bringing and being church in their space. Yeah. So our, we actually anticipate our first Sunday of every month, the worship won't be at a building. It will be in our spaces uh, to try to get unchurched neighborhoods and unchurched neighbors in our neighborhoods there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then we, so service and community, I mean, that, everyone's hungering for those things. And I think they may actually be hungering for those more now than ever. And if the, the church has just returned to programs as usual, we'll miss an opportunity to actually have authentic community and to partner in a real blessing. So mm -hmm. that's our hope. Uh, we're going to make disciples and train them to go try to make disciples of unchurched people. Uh, but we could really use use your prayers. Uh, if there's anybody listening who wants to pray for us, can I just plug our Please. prayer team? Yeah. It's, it's a way of just helping us. We, we believe in the power of God to work through the prayers of his people. And so you can go to oikosmemphis.org, okay. oikosmemphis.org. And there'll be a lot of pop-ups that are happening so that you can join our prayer team. All we'll do is send out weekly updates or so that, to give you some prayer prompts for things that we need people to be praying for. We believe in the power of God and we believe in the power of prayer. And we could really use the prayers of, of uh, anybody who is willing to go to the father on your knees. Yeah. I will have that link in the description. And you. Uh, when you mentioned it uh, just a second ago, I'll have it up. Uh, I'll have it show up as like a subtitle on the video uh, for folks who are just listening and, and won't be able to see any subtitles. Uh, Oikos is spelled O-I-K-O-S, so O-I-K-O-S Memphis.org. 
I appreciate that, Kevin. Yeah, happy to. Um, <clears throat> something that uh, that I, th- I kind of think might, if there is some silver lining, there, there might be a handful of silver linings from this last year. But f- it seems like maybe some folks have gotten used to trying some different approaches for gathering together because buildings were closed for a time. They're not closed very long uh, down here. I think, I think, I think churches started opening back up in May last year down here. Um, And I know, I know our church was open up in June and cautiously with all the protocols and everything, but I wonder maybe hopefully for y'all it it will not be off-puttingly strange it, like it, it won't be it, it won't be so strange and unusual for it's like what do you mean we're not going to meet at the building on sunday or you know stuff like that we have these uh different meeting places for what y'all are doing because people mm-hmm. have may have been in the habit of yeah we're can't go to the building so we're going to have church in our driveway or in our neighbor or in our living room or something like yep. that yeah, necessity and creativity have an interesting relationship. So we yeah. we want to step into that in, in a cultural moment where God seems to be disrupting some things and with disruption comes opportunity. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's bringing in an opportunity for some people call them micro churches, these small assemblies. Um, we're really imagining a network of just missional communities who are worshiping together, but also just living as, as an oikos. Yeah. So yeah, we, we think God is doing something right now and we, we want, want to get into the, the stream of where his spirit is moving. Good. Yeah, definitely. Smith, anything else you want to, uh, you want to mention before we wrap up today? I do want to mention that I appreciate you for giving me this opportunity to talk about church plan. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I, I love watching you and, and seeing you do this and it's neat to see you flex your own creative muscles and, and try new things in different ways. And thanks for letting me be a, a part of that. Uh, I'm happy to do it. I was telling my, uh, my preaching minister down here, Mark Adams, uh, mm-hmm. a good buddy of mine for forever um, <clears throat> that I felt like I was the kind of guy who was not going to be invited on a lot of podcasts. So I decided to start my own. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> I showed you. <laughs> I'll just start my own podcast. Yeah. <laughs> no, Smith, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for the kind words, and uh, I, I'm excited to see how things uh, pan out with, with Oikos Church. I'm, Memphis is a cool place. As a native Nashvilleian, I, mm-hmm. at one time, believed and promoted all the negative stereotypes of Memphis. <laughs> I'll confess that, you know, I'll confess that. Of course and do. it was, it was so funny uh, telling people when I was uh, going to be moving uh, onto the campus of uh, Harding school theology, it's like, Oh man, Memphis, you know, Memphis. And mm-hmm. after living there for four years, I can say with full confidence, yes, there are, there are rough places. There are places that, it is unwise for you to go, especially at night, maybe sometimes during the day. Show me an urban area where that is not true of. But the thing, too, about Memphis is that it 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 had this kind of blue-collar coolness to it that... Um, Grit and grind, baby. I know, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so like 10, 10 years when the Memphis Grizzlies were, were at the height of their 
success as a basketball team. Um, there was like a couple of years where they were consistently in the playoff hunt. It was really cool and it was good for the city and like the city kind of rallied around that. Um, yeah. And like getting to know the different parts of the city and, and all that. I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the city of Memphis now. And I can say that, mm. you know, without taking anything away from the buckle of the Bible Belt, Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's, it's a cool place and definitely a place worthy of, um, of folks who are trying to do what, uh, what you and Kelsey and the rest of your team are trying to do is, is really mm. take, uh, really take God's message and, um, and, 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 uh, to be vessels, to, to pour out his spirit of uh, redemption and reconciliation and, uh, and, and peace and beauty and goodness, all those things there in the, um, in the heart of, uh, of Bluff City. So, Smith, yeah. thank you for thank your time, brother. Really appreciate it. Yeah, God bless. Thanks, Kevin.